2: with the family. Our special guest Stephen G. Is it Taibi, Stephen? Yes, you got it. I like it. Stephen G. Taibbi. The book is called Grateful Guilt, Living in the Shadow of My Heart. This is one of those interviews, Stephen, where I'm going to shut up and listen because this is one hell of a story. So, uh, uh, it's, I can lead in with this. They've been cutting into Stephen Taibbi since the day he was born and they still haven't stopped. What is this all about, Stephen?
3: Well, it's, um, It's about the story of my life that I'm trying to use as an analogy in my book to help people who are profoundly ill, uh, also to help people who are taking care of people who are ill, and also as a a book that could inspire anybody who's just having a bad day. Um, I guess it ended up being a book about perseverance. I didn't mean it to be that, uh, but that's what it seems to have turned out to be, uh, just to give the... Shortest version of my of my history that way is um, on the day I was born, I was um, I had three minor operations because both of my both of my thumbs were were crooked and were pointing to the left, and the doctors thought that a tendon was pulling them down, so they cut open the the thumbs and cut this tendon, but it had nothing to do with that. It was a it was actually a bone. Uh, um, it was a. A bone deformity, and the, um, and it was also a marker of a of a, a, syndrome that nobody knew about yet, and I had another minor operation that day, and then when I was five and six, um, well, actually when I was five, they discovered that I had an extremely enlarged heart, and that when they looked, when they did the, when they did the catheterization back then, which was a major operation, not like it is today um they found out that i had what is commonly called a hole in the heart mm-hmm. and that's a a hole between the these uh it's a atrial septum defect and it's it's a hole in the um wall between the atrium which are the top two chambers and that causes a shunt causes a shunt of the blood between those atriums, which makes the the heart very inefficient which is why it was getting larger and larger and it it would be fatal you know and back then, people who had hole in the heart, this is 1958, um, the, the survival rate was 50%. But oh, that was the cutting-edge heart surgery of the day. So I had my surgery when I was five, and they discovered that I had another hole and a, and a vein that was plumb backwards. And they couldn't fix it then because I was already so weak from this operation. So they sent me home, and they told my parents if I survived that year that uh, they'd go in again and try to fix the other hole. They did that when I was six in 1959. And at that time, no one had lived through two open-heart surgeries for ASD repair. I was the first. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, look, I, you know, I always wanted to be first at something, you know? Sure. sure and absolutely. Um, so then they... Uh, Next thing they did was um, they told my parents that I had lived through this operation, but they didn't think I'd get past 10. And then I got past 10, and they told my parents I wouldn't get out of my teenage years. And that one almost came true. Um, By this time, we had changed doctors. And this doctor and I were very close, and he spoke very bluntly to me. And when I was 15, he told me I had about a year to live because my my heart was in such – severe arrhythmia and um they they i went to the hospital and um they cardioverted me that's literally i love dr speak you know dr speak is really awesome because um they make the simplest things sound really complex don't they (laughs) yeah dr that's right i'm sorry
2: we have a doctor in studio and he agrees with you (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know,
3: like I okay, good. That's great because it's true, right? Yeah. You know, and what, what I really love about medical personnel is when they say something like, um, "You're going to feel a little pressure." What they mean is there's an elephant with high heels standing on you. Yeah, they say it's just going to be a little pressure, don't they? Do that? That's right. If we
4: don't trivialize things, no one will do anything. So,
5: yeah,
3: uh, <laughs> there's yeah. an element of that. You yeah, through
5: That pinch means. Piercing yeah. wound. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. pinch means we're going to use the jaws of life. Um, <laughs> you have a great so, attitude anyway,
2: about this, I'm, I'm sorry? So you have a great attitude about all this, I'll tell you that.
3: Well, that's how come I'm here.
2: Yeah, I bet. Um,
3: and I'm serious. Um, see, I just got serious. I'm capable. Anyway, um, <laughs> so then they told me that I had this – so they did this um, – Cardioversion, which has, I'm uh, getting back to the, um, cardioversion is doctors speak for, we're going to electrocute you.
6: Oh, and,
3: <laughs> and they do. And they stop your heart mm-hmm. oh. and they told me at the time, they go, there's this teensy, eatsy weensy, tiny chance. It may not start again, yep. but, oh. but you know, you have to do it. And, uh, they cardioverted me and my, my, um, <clears throat> my rhythm went back to normal and so that was great but they gave me a drug called quinidine and it turned out that i w- was allergic to it but nobody knew that oh, for the love Jeez. of god. Oh, god so on my 17th birthday i'm laying in bed and i have a major heart incident because of the quinidine and i get the whole out of body experience and all that and uh, that was before kubla ross had read her book i never heard anybody talk about it before all right like all the things you hear i saw and uh, then they t- told me that um, I'd be lucky if I got through my 20s, because uh, now my heart was back to a really, really irregular beat, and there was nothing they could do then. Right. And and so um, they wanted me to, you know, they told me, you know, that I, I could not p- get out of my 20s, but man, I chased life with a hammer. So I um, I just started living the greatest life, I, you know, you could have, because... I didn't know how much of it I had, and next thing you know, I'm 33, and my doctor says to me, "I don't know what you did, but your EKG is completely normal. You beat it. Go out and live." Jeez. So I went out and bought a glider on my 34th birthday. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> you tried to kill yourself after all of that. Which was the 30, which was the 17th anniversary of my almost dying at 17. I thought that was really significant, so I bought yes. an airplane, and. um <laughs> And then, um, you know, my doctor found out it because he told me I wasn't allowed to fly. And I told him, um, uh, you know, and I always thought back then that I needed to do things to make my heart stronger, not to make them weaker. Mm -hmm. So then I found out that to fly a glider, you do not need to have a doctor's note, you know, if you had trouble and you don't need a medical. All you need is a driver's license to be healthy enough to drive. Really? after about a year of my owning an airplane, I told my doctor that I was flying, and uh, and he got really mad. <laughs> <laughs> he, turned, he looked like a kaleidoscope, all the colors he called, turned, <laughs> and then he puts his finger in my face, and he goes, all right, but no acrobatics, <laughs> and so I have six hours of acro in my book.
2: Well, and, um, of course you do, Stephen, of course you do. <laughs> yes, of course I do,
3: and then, you know, everything's going great, and you know, um I'm having this incredible life. I, I have a television production company. I'm a director. I'm I'm writing. I'm pro, I'm producing. I'm a director of photography. I'm doing all these great things. I'm having a wonderful time. I have an airplane and uh, a trailer at an airport. You know, how many of you there have ever you everything was going just right and you do something to ruin it? Anybody ever do that? Oh, Maybe. Mm, weekly. Yeah. Right. And I, that's right. I got married. So. Um, <laughs> You do stand up. Which is actually Steven? really not true. I mean, my wife actually—she's walked through fire with me. This woman, I really oh. love her. But oh. um, but I suddenly don't own an airplane and a trailer anymore. <laughs> anyway, so. um sure. But um, Rose and I—my wife is Rose. We got married. I changed careers. We, we're doing pretty well. I we got a nice house in Huntington, Long Island. We had a. Um, we had nice cars. We had a pug that was peeing all over the house. Life was perfect. Sure. <laughs> Life was <laughs> <is not>? great. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, I started to slow down. And I started to gain weight. And I couldn't figure it out. And the doctors put a halter on me, which is a, um, which an EKG m- machine you wear for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And um, they put a halter on me, and they couldn't find anything wrong. And so um, I'm walking with a friend of mine who's a who's a cameraman and I live in a very hilly neighborhood and I collapsed on him and he had to pretty much drag me home. And I scared the heck out of Larry and um, (laughs) he stayed with me until I recovered. But I, 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 my breathing was so hollow. And the next day I had a a stress test and I'm like making jokes and saying how I don't really need to do this. And 30 seconds into the stress test, they're catching me as I'm falling to the ground and oh. putting oxygen on me and my wife is being told I'm an end-stage heart failure and um... and then, then the diagnosis of this is it's really hysterical I, cu- I had something called idiopathic cardiomyopathy now there's another one of those doctor words idiopathic means unknown agent or you know from an unknown source they can't just say, we don't know. That's idiopathic I to go look it up.
6: It
0: sort of sounds like they're blaming you.
3: Well, they should blame <laughs> themselves because they're the idiots. Yeah, they, they go, you have idiopathic cardiomyopathy. Yeah. Oh, really? What the hell is that? So cardiomyopathy is wasting the disease of the heart. And this time it was caused by, um, like I said, an unknown agent. And so that set me up for my, her- for my first heart transplant 18 years ago. And so, eighteen years ago, I got a heart transplant which saved my life. thank God bless my donor and um, and then I kept that heart for fifteen years, uh, which was really good because I had no enzyme matches. You need up to six enzyme matches for heart transplants, and mine had zero and um, but they had to get it to me I had to get this heart or I wouldn't have you know or I wouldn't be here. I was on that cusp of getting too sick to 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 be able to get a heart. Mm. So they gave me this heart and I kept it for 15 years, which all the doctors were amazed with. And then three years ago, three and a half years ago, um, I got another heart at Cedars in in New York, I mean in LA, because uh, New York is the worst state in in America for donation rates. And uh, there were not enough organs here for me. And so I had to fly to California uh, or I wouldn't have survived the wait. Would have been. It would have taken too long here in New York. So I flew to California and got a heart there. And that's that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> Did you uh, you ever seen the movie
2: Arthur uh, with Dudley Moore? You ever seen that movie?
3: Oh, I love that movie.
2: The reason I bring it up is because after your descriptor, it's like. But other than that, you had six relatively good years. yeah.
3: You know, I always say that I live a life of interludes.
2: Yeah, yeah, life <laughs> of interludes, exactly. God, Stephen, what a great say- and you're a great storyteller. That's really wow. going to help you sell this book, man. You need to do interviews with everybody, everywhere, because you do a great interview. It's it's oh, really amazing. Uh, I should mention, by Would the way. Thank you. Would
3: you write a note and tell my wife? <laughs> yes,
2: I, I will write a note to your wife, absolutely. I am happy to tell you that Stephen G. Taibbi is
3: 66 years old.
0: I, I did the math. I was How suppressed. cool is that? That's wonderful. Is
3: Nobody, including myself, ever thought I'd get here. I mean, it's just wonderful. Especially after I got married. <laughs> so I still work in the room
0: your parents when you were growing up they must have just been did they spoil the crap out of you because they kept on being
7: told no, that you weren't going to make had, it
3: I think I, I, I wouldn't be here my, oh. parents did, my parents did the right thing I think um, way too often especially nowadays children are just molly colly and it's not good for them it really isn't yeah, Alex. my parents were like well, my parents acted as if I wasn't sick. Okay. They, now obviously I had certain restrictions right after surgeries and things, Mm -hmm. but as a living child growing up, they made me go out and play. They made me, I had to do my chores. Wonderful. They They made me act like I wasn't sick. And that was a strategy. And my book is all about strategies and I had strategies on how to survive starting with age five. I never go into a hospital. If I'm going to, let's say, if I'm going to get a catheterization, which I get them fairly often. Um, if I'm going in for a catheterization, I go in with strategies. I don't know do anything medically without having strategies in my head. It's vital. My parents' strategy was to act like I wasn't sick, so I wouldn't think I was sick.
6: Mm-hmm. And I
3: caught on to that. And I expanded that, that's that's how, um, that's why I wasn't listening to my doctors when I thought they were wrong. Now I'm Mr. Compliant because the strategy for me at this point is to listen to my, what my doctors know. Because right now they know better than I do. Back when I was a kid, my doctors weren't understanding how much I needed exercise and stuff, mm-hmm. but, I, but I thought it. You know, I knew it. I was really quite strong when I was young. Um, now, now a moth could beat me up, but that um, <laughs> then, yeah, I really got into it with a moth the other day, and he won. Anyway, but um, uh, you know, that it. strategy my parents had of not spoiling me, of treating me like a normal kid, that saved my life. Yeah, I'm that's... positive. There's no
2: doubt, Stephen. I am going to. I also do a, a morning talk show here in town, and I want to book you on that show as well. You, you do a great interview, so uh, KQRS Radio, it's called. I'll, I'll, I'm going to have them reach out to you because I want to book you on the morning show so you can tell your story. It's a great story, Stephen, and you tell it very well.
3: Okay, I I I'd love to do that. You, you know Harlan, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but let you know.
2: Let him know. We will let him know, Stephen J. Uh, Stephen G. Taibi. It's T A I B B I. The book is called "Grateful Guilt: Living in the Shadow of My Heart." Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Great interview, sir.
3: Well, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
2: We'll talk to you soon on the morning show.
3: Okay, that's you got it bet. Wonderful. We'll
2: be back with the family. Never liked you, by the way. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience? Member FDIC, an equal housing lender.
8: Thanks, friend.
2: And you are? (laughs) Real nice. Chuck Nabla. (laughs) (laughs) Chuck (laughs) Nabla. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me. And it's not just me.
7: Well, apparently not Steven, because he survived career. his glider. Hey, she's got a
2: glider. I'm getting a glider.
7: <laughs> See, I my, married. When I don't have a glider when anymore. When he said that, I thought of, like, glider.
2: hand glider, chair glider? Oh, oh, okay. oh I, <laughs> <hang> glider, <laughs> I thought he was talking yeah. hang glider and, like, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, I was like,
7: why did he go by a rocking chair?
5: <laughs> <laughs> have okay. you guys ever heard of Carolyn Calloway? No.
2: You ever heard of this woman? Have you, Catherine? What?
5: Who? Is she Carol the inventor of the golf ball?
2: No. No,
0: nope, not that
2: <clears throat> one. Okay. No, you haven't heard of her? No. Maybe you've heard, but Twitter is a buzz over Carolyn Calloway. Totally. The Instagram influencer received a ton of attention this week when her former co-writer wrote an article about their working relationship. Artnet reports in the cut, Natalie Beach describes a 27-year-old as a beguiling storyteller who could burst into tears over a simple gift or apparently lie about it being stolen, who okay. lived halfway between her true self and her romantic online persona, who wrestled with an Adderall addiction and threatened suicide if Beach didn't keep working on their manuscript about Calloway's life. When they abandoned the book, they parted ways, but it's the relationship and the insight into an influencer's life that seemed to have struck a chord. Beach says she was sucked in by their high-energy partnership. She even blew it off when Calloway admitted to having bought tens of thousands of fake Instagram followers to jumpstart her career. I remember we used to interview people on this, and I've got a half a million followers, and we found out they bought them all. Mm -hmm. And how much is it? It's like 10 cents a piece or something? Yeah, really not that much. It's not very much. Anyway, she bought uh, tens of thousands of fake Instagram followers to jumpstart a career. After all, she was constantly calling me her best friend and work wife, telling me she loved me. Right speech. I thought we were in this together. Uh, This is weird. Others have also accused Callaway of scamming. The influencer recently had to abandon $165 creativity workshops for her 800,000 Instagram followers after a journalist dismissed them as a scam. Callaway's response, she wrote a post criticizing her own greed and overconfidence and wore a T-shirt that read, Scammer, for oh NBC God. What is wrong with this person?
5: Why do people care about Instagram influencers? I don't get that either. They're all horrible
2: people. To anyone I've disappointed or outraged, they have so much empathy for how you must be feeling right now, Calloway wrote. It's so valid, and I'm so sorry. She later hosted a sold-out workshop called The Scam. So people sign up for a workshop called The Scam. It doesn't
0: surprise me.
2: Calloway also gushed about Beach, calling her brilliant and saying everything in Natalie's article will be brilliant and beautifully expressed and true. But Calloway's no fool. She wrote in a now-deleted post that she would charge brands as much as $1,000 dollars to mention them on Instagram, and $5,000 for regular mentions. Flatiron Books offered her $375,000 for her book, and now once more than $100,000 returned. Callaway is apparently doing what? She's working on it. Mm. Yeah. Now the media is abuzz with articles like, are you a Carolyn or a Natalie? And a New York Times follow-up interview with Beach. My inbox is pretty full right now, she admits. I'm a little overwhelmed with sort of a tidal wave of attention. But Beach holds no grudge against Callaway for any apparent lies or manipulations. Caroline was caught between who she was and who she believed herself to be, which in the end may have been the most relatable thing about her, Beach writes. This is why when people ask me if Caroline is a scammer, I try to explain that if she is, her first mark is always herself. I don't understand any of that story. Why would people like this one? All she's been doing is scamming everybody, and but people still like her.
7: Well, look at Hitler.
2: Hitler? <laughs> How did you tie in Hitler <laughs> people that? Lo- people
7: loved him, and he was a complete lunatic that was, I mean, it's, well, people are easily influenceable. It's like, yes, ooh, you're, yes, you seem are. like you know what you're talking about.
4: Yet, yet, yet a large amount of advertising is going to influencers, whether it's on Instagram, oh, YouTube, God, and yes. things like oh, that. Yeah. So much is going to the, uh, the one, one, one. Was on the BBC, they were talking about, I forget which uh, manufacturer, one of the cosmetic brands. 70% goes to influencers.
7: Really?
4: Unboxing. Yeah, oh yeah. 70%. Yeah, here, look, oh, look what I just got. Oh, I just got this new SD Lauder uh, a packet. Oh, look, let's see what's
5: in it. You know, and oh, yeah. people mm-hmm. people watch that sort of stuff. Unboxing yep, the
7: whole thing.
5: Unboxings. Yeah. Really? What did somebody? I
7: get in this package you? You know what people lady. need to do is
0: get off the internet and go yeah. do some. Go for a with your life. Oh, yeah, okay. get a life. How go about watch that somebody action. unbox something.
5: Well, these Instagram really? influencers, their fans are all like teenagers and young. Oh, they are? Yeah. So, what do they influence?
2: What do they mean by influencer? What are they influencing? I think they
0: people. try different cosmetics and you name it.
2: Clothes, and, Close,
0: and, and then they get, and yeah, and then they get they get money from advertisers, and then if people buy things off of their website mm-hmm. or their Instagram account, then they get more money.
7: So the mm-hmm. whole Instagram influencer thing is like, you are a person, you're your own brand okay. that you put out, and people want to be like you. They think you're inspiring, they think you're smart, they think really? you're funny, whatever. It's they a cult think, of personality. They think your kids are cute, like any of that. And then you post on there, you're like, oh, I just got this box with you know, all the different flavors of Lay's potato chips, and they're so good, and they're an easy snack on the go, and blah, blah, blah. And then people go buy Lay's potato chips yeah. because you eat it's them. It's
5: like a walking, living cool. advertisement. Yeah. So
0: it's a personal endorsement for complete strangers that yep. you just happen to like. On... Yeah. It,
4: and it also happens on YouTube as well. Children, children are easily influenced. Fo- well, people are do the same thing. Influenced and podcasters there's one there's one couple who do stuff on motorhomes or re, rv recreation and they have a podcast they have live things on weekends and they have a youtube channel i mean they they just have this huge amount and they're influencers and they get free stuff and great deals and blah 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 blah, blah. Hmm.
2: all right i gotta run this by and then you have to guess a family of five found dead on a cliff in fiji A one-year-old found alive, crawling nearby, having survived 36 hours in the wilderness. Uh, Who did they charge with the death of the five people? The father. Uh, Police say Muhammad Rashish Ishuf, 62, lived Mm -hmm. next to Nirmal Kumar, 63, and his wife, Usha Devi, 54, for years in Fiji before Ishuf and his wife moved to New Zealand. But they returned to Fiji last month for a visit. Uh, they found five people dead on a cliff in Fiji, and they have blamed a witch doctor. Oh, my God. A oh, mm. witch doctor? A witch doctor. Okay. From Hex? Yeah, I was going to say, is it it
7: the Maryland good.
2: man? Was is there a goat yes, nearby? Was that the witch doctor? Was anybody disembowed?
4: Was that the
5: witch doctor? We,
7: we listened to that Bada this morning. <laughs> ooh, ee,
5: ooh, you ah, You listened ah. to that? Bing, bang. Bing <laughs> 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 bang. Well, there's a new, they keep making new versions of it. Well, do they really? We listened
7: to the original, the, oh, who is it by? Uh, who did do that? Oh my God! Sorry. It's the like the we, it's the weirdest told, name. Doctor, uh, tell me what to do. It's like by Oogie Boogie, Oogie Boogie or something. It's uh, literally. It's by. Shawna na
2: Shawna na is not the original of it. not
5: the original. Oh, it's not the original. The original is by Ross Bagdasarian.
7: Ah uh, yes. You know who that is? I know him well. You know no.
2: who I think that is?
5: David who? Seville. Yes. Yep. That's the voice of uh, Alvin
2: and the Chip of the Chipmunks.
7: Oh. Well, in, the, that, That's, in I didn't
2: know that. In the sha version,
7: there's like an Alvin. <laughs> we were like, that sounds exactly like Alvin. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Ooh, ee,
2: yeah, uh, Faraz uh, uh. Bagdasarian was David Seville.
7: Okay, well that makes sense then.
5: Huh. How cool is that? Actually, I think you did listen to the Bagdasarian Bag- version.
7: on Alexa. Uh,
5: well, I think it lied because the original has him doing the Alvin voice Well, maybe sha has
7: it. Yeah,
2: like in a there. Sample. sample. They sampled it. Yeah. I Yeah, because I was like, that sounds exactly
7: like Alvin.
2: Ting tang. Yep, we listened to that this morning. Ting
7: Listen to it
2: twice. Did you really? A little David Seville, Alvin and the Chipmunks.
4: Yeah, there is a current version. They sample that, and it's
2: a club med song. Oh, really? oh, is it like really? Med song, yeah. oh, is it? I didn't know that. So, all right, stay away from the ooh, ee, ooh, uh, ooh, witch uh, uh, doctor when you're in when you're in Fiji Ow, or
0: Cambodia. So, so what's Cambodia.
2: <laughs> <laughs> or they don't know what the hell. I mean, I... doing.
7: They'll make you do all the Odd. work.
2: <laughs> they don't really descri- <laughs> describe why it is they think that the witch doctor killed them. I uh, I could probably figure that out at some point, but uh, uh, I think maybe that's. Yeah, you know. I don't really know why they think a witch doctor killed them for money. Oh, you think it was a money call? You think really? It's ninety
5: percent it of murders because of money. So,
2: what is Think Progress? What uh, is that horrible website? Oh, is it really? Oh yeah, talk what? about clickbait. Why? What is it? It's a clickbait website. What does that mean? They make clickbait. I don't know what that <laughs> means. They, what they, means. You don't know what clickbait is. I have no idea what clickbait you do. is. Yes, you no, so I they don't.
7: make you keep clicking on their site to go to the next page or uh, all news sites do ads, that now. Well, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's... I hate that about news sites. Unable to find a new publisher, Think Progress is going dark. We are left with no choice but to close Think Progress. Oh, well, there you go. As an independent enterprise focused on original reporting said Nayak. I just called him N or double N. That's what I called him. The Center for American Progress Action Fund on Friday, the news website was an editorially uh, independent project of the center, which is a Democratic Party think tank. Think Progress has been in the red for years, the Daily Beast reports the center couldn't continue supplementing the growing shortfall in Think Progress revenue. Uh, Nyack said the site was put up for sale in July, uh, per the wrap, but zero people were interested in buying it.
5: Well, the brand name is ruined. They, no one believes their lies anymore, so they have no
2: value. So what would they lie about? Everything? Well,
5: look at every news site. They just make stuff up about mostly political stuff, some celebrity stuff,
2: you know. I, let me ask you guys your opinion of this. Why is it that we have laws in America where, because someone is a public figure, you can lie your ass off about them, really ruin their career, and there's nothing they can do about it?
6: Because
5: I don't understand the New understand York Times had either. a lot of
2: power and a lot of money. Yeah.
0: That doesn't make any sense. You can
2: ruin someone's life, and there's nothing they can do about
0: well, it. Well, I remember when I was in journalism school back before <clears throat> they, yeah, back when there was actual journalism,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and they always said, when you're thrusting yourself into the public eye that you have no expectation of privacy wherever you go.
2: Yeah, but privacy and lying about what they did are are two completely different things. Well, it also used
0: to be that journalism had some ethics and you would not be
2: lying. Well, that's true.
0: Unless you were some sort of a celebrity rag Mm -hmm. and then people you know, took that for what it was. So
2: the
4: star isn't true? (laughs) Well, I'm not saying
0: it's not
4: true.
2: <laughs> not true.
0: But I'm not saying anything.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, here's exactly what I'm talking about. I brought this up earlier. MSNBC story Flub gives Trump an opening. No, Lawrence O'Donnell was lying and he knew he was lying. It was not a Flub, it was a flat out lie to say that the, Donald Trump and the Russians uh, kind of got together on his tax return or something. I know, it's just a ridiculous story. Uh, reporting on Russian Russia ties to Trump finances. There, you are, there you go. And now he says, reporting on Russian ties to Trump finances was a mistake. Mm. Was a mistake. Okay. It's so it like, Yeah, they make
5: it sound like. It was a mistake to tell the truth. Yeah, that's right. Because that's right. the reporting was the mistake. It wasn't
2: the fact that they lied. That was the mistake. Look, I'm not here to defend President Trump. He can defend himself because he loves to tweet so much anyway. He sure does. I'm here to say these disgusting news reporters need to get their head out of their ass. Well,
0: like I said, I think that, that somebody should be challenging their credibility as journalists in courts. Yeah. Because if you're not actually a journalist and you're just... Right. A person with opinions then you don't get the protections of being a journalist.
5: I, they they I agree. all are journalists though. Everybody's a journalist. There are so there. many journalistic outlets that just say, "Hey, yeah, sure. Come on to our payroll. There you go. Now you're immune to the law." Well,
0: yes. See that's what I am totally against. I don't yeah, believe I think everybody's that should totally be against
2: okay. that. Everybody Well, I mean, look at that story those those gangs. 20 people beat the hell out of two guys. Uh, they were totally defenseless. These guys, one it, it was two different episodes where this happened. They literally punched and kicked the guy in the face while he was down. Jumped on him Jumped from on heights. him, hit him over the head with a flower pot about the size of a building, mm-hmm. ran over him with a bicycle, and this show was the first one to report it in America. Now, how the hell is that even possible? And that was because L.A. Nick showed me the video last Wednesday. Yep. So we we talked about it on this podcast, and I talked about it the next morning on the KQ morning show. Local news didn't cover it at all. Well,
0: there's a um, Twitter page and a Facebook page, and I think he has an Instagram page. It's Minneapolis Crime Watch, right? And right. he has hardly any followers, mm-hmm. really? and he and he just reports all, all the crime that he hears over right. the scanner, and right. it's amazing. Well,
5: the I media just... doesn't report things that might be. Damaging to their bottom line. Yeah. So you're going to people you... to be
2: savagely beat. They don't care. They don't care. No. It's money.
5: And they,
4: so, so if if they were, well, I don't know, how does that affect their bottom line if they report that?
5: Because they get uh, funding from certain places, you know, like endowments. Not necessarily well, federal money, although I think they do get, but, you know. It's like, like newspaper Donors and stuff. Plus yeah. want Oh, totally.
1: Plus, you want people to come who to Minneapolis. Don't to a
4: newspaper.
5: People who are indoctrinated. Yeah, pretty much true.
1: The people
7: who want to cover these stories up. Are the advertisers? Yeah. Or it's
5: yeah, it's like you know, say I'm a billionaire and I want people to think a certain way. I'll say, hey, uh, I'll give you fifty million dollars if you only report a certain slant for the yeah, next that's year. Yeah, true. And they're like, that's true. Sure, there's nothing illegal <sighs>
2: about that because we're the media. Do you know why local media finally carried the story la- late last night and early this morning? Why? Because on, it was on the national, national news.
4: Okay, so that, that was forced. Oh, uh,
2: it made the national news before they'd even touch the story, even though we reported
4: it a week ago. So no, so no, that we're we're so fearful of reporting uh, crime, right, in Minneapolis or Saint Paul, mm-hmm. that we're what are we? Afraid, we're afraid that people will go downtown, or what are we? Afraid, yeah, we're afraid the that problem.
5: people won't come here and spend the tourist
2: bucks. The problem they have is that it was black people that beat the, the hell, hell out of, of white guys. Oh yeah. See so apparently you you can protect Do they not know how racist that is? It's like assuming all black people do that kind of thing.
0: Right, yeah.
2: That's I mean, basically what it looks like to me when they say those uh, things. Well, it's racist to do what you did. How do you not know that?
4: And so no one no one wants to do anything in South Chicago mm-hmm. in court because oh, I know. it's black people. Because it's black people, yeah. After black people
2: I just don't understand so, how they don't see that as racist. Are the,
4: are the people who are committing the crimes, are they getting a free ride? Or do we don't care about the victims?
2: Well, what is it? I don't what, know. I don't know. We've got to take a break. We'll be right back. We'll try to figure out the world because I have no idea what the hell's going on. Again, I like that. Yes. Uh, I like to give credit where credit is due, and Wendy called in and said she did see that story about the beatings. Yes. Uh, on Channel Nine. A week Nine. Ago on Channel Nine, so I want to give Channel Nine credit. Tom I... Leiden reported it. Yeah, he Tom did like Lydon a did.
0: piece on it. Yeah. Oh, did he? And okay, there were good. actually three incidents, not just the one yeah. that we all saw.
2: No, two. They, they report on two last night on the news.
0: Okay. Well, she said three. So, but Wendy? there are there
2: were three. She's ah. right. Oh. But they reported on two of them. last night. But I just want to give credit. credit. If they covered that story, Tom Lydon covered it, then congratulations, because I didn't see it. Did you guys see it anywhere else? Mm -hmm.
0: I have seen it on Twitter quite a bit on Twitter. On Twitter, but Mm -hmm. not on
2: the news, I mean. Channel 9. Oh, yeah, here
5: we go. By Tom Lydon, Fox 9, five days ago. So it was
2: five days. So it was after we did it. Five or six days ago. Yeah, it was after we did it. Ah. Um... I don't know. Hey, but still, they, they ran with the story, which is congratulations. Brian Walsh, our guest. How are you doing, Brian? I'm good. Now, this is a, this ought to be a day brightener for us. End times, a brief guide to the end of the world. That's, kind of, that's rather scary, Brian. Uh, it's, you know, it's
1: a little bit scary, I suppose. I mean, it is the end of the world or multiple possible ends of the world. But at the same time, we try to plot some ways to make sure that doesn't
2: actually happen. Newsweek and Bloomberg
1: Popular Science and Investigative Journalist
2: Brian Walsh explores the history of extinction and offers a cutting-edge examination of existential risk, the dangers, uh, dangerous mistakes we have yet to pay for. Ooh, Brian, this, I want to hear all about this. So we, the dangerous mistakes we have yet to pay for and concrete steps we can take to protect ourselves and future-proof our civilization. So, so what mistakes have we made that we are yet to pay for? Are there numbers of them? I'm hoping just a couple.
1: (laughs) Well, certainly you can look at something like, let's take nuclear war, for instance. You know, when the first nuclear bomb was tested in Trinity in 1945, I mean, that introduced a new category of the ways the world could end. Before that, it had to be natural. It had to be something from space or something here on, on Earth. Now, suddenly, that's in our power and we've been lucky for you know seventy some years now that hasn't happened yet but of course those missiles are all still there they could be fired could be on purpose could be an accident so that's one and the other is really looking at sort of i think some new emerging technologies that we're just developing now like biotechnology gene editing for instance or artificial intelligence where you know we may not be able to predict the direction those are going to go which means they could easily get out of control in a way that could have catastrophic consequences and they would be happening faster than we can actually react to, such that we may be making mistakes in the way those are being introduced. We won't actually know until it's potentially too late.
2: Uh, well, I feel much better now, Brian. <laughs>
4: <laughs> hey, Have me that bottle of Prozac over
2: there. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's so amazing about that, Brian? We, we, uh, we talk about this quite often because right now um, – the world not just america but the world seems to be at each other's throats and and people are willing to lie and destroy other people's lives they they go out of their way if you don't agree with me i will destroy you uh are we trying to end this whole thing i mean do we is it subconscious it just i man people are in 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 a bad situation right now aren't they mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and it definitely feels that way. And you look at surveys and you, you see a large percentage of people really worrying about these things, uh, yeah. worrying that, you know, the world's going to end now. At the same time, this is something that's kind of shattered us always. You know, it used to be something that had a more, we had a more religious element uh, than, you know, yeah. political one. Now it's more about technology. But I think, you know, there's something about human beings that has always caused us to kind of catastrophize and focus on this, uh, which isn't the same thing as saying it's not real. Uh, it's definitely real. And, and in some ways worse off now than I think we've ever been before. But this is great news, Brian, our special
2: guest. End Times is a compelling work of skilled reportage or reportage, it all depends, Uh, that peels (laughs) back the layers of complexity around the unthinkable and inevitable end of humankind. From asteroids and artificial intelligence to volcanic supereruption to nuclear war, 15-year veteran science reporter and time editor Brian Walsh provides a stunning panoramic view of the most catastrophic threats to the human race, but you also give us an out, I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping, Brian.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, every one of these can be countered. You know, I'll take one. You know, asteroids have been with us always. It's You know, yeah. you might remember the dinosaurs. That's how they came to an end. Mm-hmm. But now we actually have the ability, uh, using scientists at NASA, to track asteroids, track Earth objects, and actually even deflect them, sort of similar to what you might see in a movie like Armageddon. And, right. of course, a lot of these other ones have solutions too, you know nuclear war there's a way to stop it we we've held it out now for seven years Keep that. and you look at some of these new technologies biotech or AI they could be developed in a way that I hope gets the maximum benefit out of them with while minimizing that risk
2: so Brian I do have to ask you because you see it on the news all the time if we stay on our current course uh, do you see climate changing so badly that in 10 years or 12 years the earth will come to an end
1: no, I think I think that's been really right. overstated. I mean, right. I, I include a chapter on climate change, and it is different than the other ones because you know it's happening and, and will continue to happen. Will most likely, or almost certainly, continue to get worse. But this idea that it's going to suddenly cause human extinction in twelve years and twenty years by twenty fifty by twenty one hundred just isn't isn't very likely. Uh, you know, it's different than the other risks, which are kind of like big catastrophes that suddenly happen. This is right. going to be with us always. You know, I, in some ways, I like to compare it to. It's less like cancer, more like diabetes, and then it has to be managed, has to be controlled, and it can get worse or it can get better, but it's always going to be with
2: us. See, Brian, we need more people like you because when these, uh, you know, these people make these statements, whether they're politicians or Hollywood people Mm -hmm. or whatever the situation is, nobody's there to say, well, that's not true at all. (laughs) Uh, and I, I'm going to have to call – every time I see it, Brian, I'm going to call you and go, you need to call in to CBS right now because they're trying to say the world's going to end in 12 years. When I'm clearly... going to be very busy in that case. <laughs> You're gonna, you've decided against it. No, right. I, I just – I love the fact that we have you on because, look, we all need to live cleaner lives. Catherine, my my lovely wife, and I have been recycling – for well over 30 years we've lived very clean lives we don't leave messes everywhere we go we
0: own no cows
2: we don't own a county farting cows that's true true. we also drive very few miles in our cars so yes i would like everybody to live a very clean uh life it'd be wonderful but i don't think threatening people with doom is a good way to get there
0: Especially if it's ten years, yeah, I mean, we might as well party on.
2: Yeah. And it's been,
4: and it's really been, it's it's an in the psychology of ten years or twelve years is interesting because it, that has started that started in the seventies and eighties because it was the popular oh we're gonna oh, it's yeah. gonna be overpopulated we're all gonna die oh it's gonna to be too cold we're all gonna die and it was always this ten to twelve year projection yeah, it was, yeah. and it's 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 interesting that that's just that. Is just like two senators' terms or five uh. congressmen's terms. It, it, it's the kind of things that oh oh we have to do something for the future, but they're gone, and, and no one can prove that because most right. of the people that have believed in that or you know you forget what people have said, and it just a continued ongoing drum that's been beaten. Oh, ten years from now we're all going to die. It's going to be overpopulated. We're not going to have food, it, it, and it and it just gets old. You know, I, I guess I'm I'm way more fearful of some catastrophic. Uh, technology you know getting out of control gray
5: goo situation yeah well
4: well for instance uh, people have this horrific fear of gmo products right horrific fear of them yet we are willing to to accept artificial viruses which will inject genetics into our bodies
5: and not think twice Mm about it yeah true
7: that's real weird yeah genetically (laughs) modifying
5: people i don't know i'd say test that out for three four hundred years and then we'll do it
2: no, I think I think that's a that's a very very good point. So yeah, Brian, I think that every I would like to see people live much cleaner lives and get along yeah. much better and not hate one another, and that would all be very very nice. But I I just really wish the lying would stop so we could all really uh, focus on what's really important. And basically, at this point, end times is what's really important. End times answers the most important questions about uh, questions facing humankind. That's the kind of thing that I want to read, Brian, because I could learn something. And if I can, in any small way, make things better, I would make that effort, to try to make things better, right. no matter how minute it
1: is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hope that's definitely the case. And I, I think it's also just an interesting way to look at psychology around this. I think, for the most part, if you tell people, you know, if you don't do X, Y, Z, the world's going to end. And. Ten to twelve years. That's not the first time people have said things like that. And, right. You know, yeah, they've been wrong so far. But also, I think it tends to have much more of a, you know, either people tend to just push it away or, or say it's not true, or it kind of paralyzes them. But it's not very effective, even if you know that's what what you want. Like that's we know from psychologists that's just not a an effective move, uh, especially for something like this, which is going to just take. It's not going to be something you just decide and fix tomorrow in a day. It's going to take years and years and years. So you need to figure out a, a method that actually sustains that kind of public attention and public, uh, you know, movement. Um, and I, I don't think this is a very effective way to do it. No, I think you're absolutely right about that. I, um,
3: yeah, I,
2: I, like I said, I just reading the descriptor of your book and reading your book, I, I think it's really good news for everybody. I mean, you see, you see even though the, the name of the book is End Times, you see it as a very positive message, don't you, in the long run?
1: I, I... Yeah, I, I do, you know, I mean, and the reason I see it as a positive message is that unlike people 100 years ago, or 200, or however long, or really all of human history, mm-hmm. we're not just sitting around waiting for the asteroid or, or whatever to strike us. We actually can help make this world a better place and a more sustainable place, and I, and I mean sustainable in the sense of lasting, you know, so that we have children and grandchildren and, right. you know, hundreds of years in the future, you know, and if anything happens extinction-wise to us now, it's obviously bad for us here on this planet right now, but it's even worse when you think about all the people who might live who won't otherwise. And that's our responsibility, really, uh, to keep this species and planet safe from any number of these kind of risks that I try to outline here.
2: God, you know, the the, the, the work that you've done over the years, I'm just reading some of the things um, a graduate of Princeton University, Brian Walsh worked as a foreign correspondent, reporter, and editor for Time over 15 years. He founded the award-winning ecocentric blog on Time.com and has reported on more than 20 country, more than 20 countries on science and environmental stories like SARS, global warming, and extinction. So, it's it's pretty much shoulder to the wheel for you. Does it ever get overwhelming for you, just <laughs> going, oh my God, another thing that I
1: have to worry about? <laughs> A little bit, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a, I look at that sort of record of, of, of reporting and I realized and this is kind of how the book came about. This is, you know, one thing after, led to another. And I realized I was looking at these big global catastrophic threats. A lot of them had to do with the way the world was changing. You know, something like SARS is, is a reflection of globalization. You know, I mean, that disease started in some market in southern China, uh, jumped across the border to Hong Kong, where I was living at the time. And Hong Kong is a, a major airport, you know, so it went from there to the rest of the world. And that wouldn't have been possible 100 years before, you know. And and, yeah. it's, and it shows all that sort of shows the way that we are connected in the sense we've never been before, which makes us more vulnerable in one way. But also it means we can pull together as a, as a world, as a species to really make a difference, you know, uh, protect ourselves. And, and in many ways we have. Uh, we just still have a lot Good. farther to go, I think. Uh, and, and we don't know how much time we have to do that.
2: No, I understand it. Do you think that people want to believe that the time in which they lived was the most important time on Earth? That it's definitely, oh, when, yeah, totally. when I come to my end, the whole world would come to its end. Do people <laughs> want to believe that it'll, it'll all wrap up at the end of their lives?
1: I, I think so. I think that's, that's part of what's yeah. always made people attracted to. Apocalyptic stories again, mm-hmm. you know, going back to religious ones to one, yep. you know, in popular of culture and, and, and film that we have now. I think it is a somewhat of a it's hard to imagine the world after you're gone. It really Yeah. Is. Yeah, <laughs> so well, I suppose that's something that's hard to wrap your head around. Um, and so there's a bit of a generational kind of self-centeredness that gets into that. But that's not the same thing as saying it's not true. You know what I mean? It, in the sense that, like, those those feelings maybe have a certain psychology behind them, but they also reflect uh, a real danger and real vulnerability that I think we do feel right now, which, which is authentic. Yeah, and I think
2: that we're making it, well, by we, I do mm-hmm. mean certain politicians, certain news organizations, Hollywood certainly contributes to all that. We mm-hmm. love to get that negative story out there because people make a lot of money off of negative stories. They
1: make tons <clears throat> of money off that stuff. <clears throat> yeah, and I think, I think you know, when it comes to popular culture, it's you want the stakes to always be as big as possible. So it can't just be that, you know, a small story about, you know, a couple of people, it always has to be the world at stake. Or, you know, increasingly if you're looking at comic book movies like the Marvel movies, the whole universe
5: uh,
1: gets bigger and bigger, you know, and and, and we're sort of conditioned to really only accept that kind of scale as as mattering. So it's not surprising that we bring that home. So everything has existential stakes. You know, every election has that, every debate. Um, It's very hard to sort of find Perspective. A lot of that's technology and, and, and media, you know, social media makes everything same like it's on volume 10 out of 10. Yeah. Uh, it makes everything move very quickly. And so it's hard, and I hope this book helps do that. It's hard to sort of actually look, you know, with a hard, with a, with a, with a hard eye and actually sort of, okay, what's actually important, maybe what's not so important. Um, we're trying to really deal with the things that are important in this book.
2: It is a wonderful thing. End Times, A Brief Guide to the End of the World. Sounds like a negative title, but it's not. <laughs> Brian yeah. Walsh. Brian, thanks so much. Great, great book. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Thank you very much. Great to talk to you. Nice talking to you, sir. Uh, I think it's it's wonderful. Now, here's a guy. It's, I mean, not exactly, you know, your...
1: Dave I Breitner. don't know,
2: but he's not exactly your <laughs> Trump supporter. <laughs> no. But... But, I mean, this guy's worked for Time Magazine. He's worked for a lot of different news outlets. And he said, he literally just said, the world's not going to end in 2100. You know, they're talking about 10, 12 years. He said, that's mm-hmm. not going to end the next 100, 200 years, whatever. It's not going to happen.
0: As he's talking, there's a... Twitter feed that says a uh, gas explosion in Russia in a lab that contained Ebola,
7: H.I. <laughs> I got <see> a small <laughs> well, I got some <laughs> other breaking <Daybreaker>. news. <laughs> like, there you right know have
2: I other go. breaking news?
7: Yeah. State Fair officials have said 11 cases of E. coli are associated with Minnesota State Fair. Most patients reported touching animals at the Miracle of Birth Center. Yeah. So now What calls,
4: happened? Guess, that's why called? you wash your oh, hands after That's why I had the, old, the hand oh. sanitation yes. station all over. To wash Duh. your hands. Wash your hands. Don't yeah. touch an yeah. yeah. animal.
2: Ugh.
7: If you touch an <laughs> animal, just wash your hands.
2: Yep, that's right. How Love it is tip. with
7: farm animals. <laughs> Duh.
2: If I, if I go in to pee in the toilet one more time and you didn't flush your turds, okay. I'm coming to find out. Stop
7: talking yet. Yet. What <laughs> <you think> about <laughs> other people's feces for five Why do I have sessions? to look at it? Why do you have to talk about it? The problem
0: because is, he it's... hangs out with Fawn now and he talks she's about turds yeah. all <laughs>
2: the time. Turd bucket. <laughs> That's what she calls your butt now. She calls it turd bucket. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, where did, where did she get that from? they calling
7: each other turd bucket. Oh, <laughs> yeah. About. I don't know.
2: Boy, look at the time. Time to wrap up. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. Yourself, well, ladies well, it's better and gentlemen. than
7: telling kids that she's going to rip them apart. Like she got from well. good old Bob. Bob.
2: <laughs> I never said that. Probably saw <laughs> some cartoon you showed
7: her. I don't probably. watch cartoons with her. You do. It's
2: probably Peppa Pig threatened to rip someone. <laughs> yeah, Peppa
7: that Pig, sounds, exactly. sounds horrible. All right, I'm
2: Dora just here to Explorer. tell you that yeah. if you don't listen to this show and get all your friends listening to the show by the millions, the world's going to come to an end in 10 years. I just want you to know that. So get off your ass and listen to the show. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. See, hey, little beetles. Nothing better than that. Uh, Andy, maybe you can explain this to me because I guess I don't, I don't know what the hell this is all about. But uh, the third day of President Trump's impeachment trial ended with uh, lead impeachment manager, Representative Adam Schiff, making an emotional plea to Senate Republicans. The Democrat warned that the president will continue to put his own interests first if he is allowed to remain in office. Yeah, because no other president ever did that. Uh, You know, you can't trust this president to do what's right for this country like you could any other president in history. Schiff said warning that Trump would be likely unlikely to stop Russian interference in this year's election. He told senators that Trump should be removed because right matters, because right matters and truth matters. Otherwise, we are lost. Uh, So here's the deal. After Democrats made their case that Trump abused his power, Republicans complained that they were hearing repetitive arguments the Washington Post reports, we're hearing the same things over and over and over, said Trump lawyer Jay Sekulow. White House officials said that when Republicans argue their case, Sekulow will address reporters as part of an aggressive PR strategy. I don't know. The, Andy, you're 33 years old. Are you sick to death of this?
5: I've been sick to death of it for quite a while.
2: Since the day it started?
5: Yeah. I mean, even before that, honestly. People calling. Yeah, I People think everybody have been calling knows. for his impeachment basically since the day he was elected, and it's just like yeah, they have. You know, four years of nonstop harping, and then yes. it finally happens, and it doesn't go anywhere, and it's just like I don't know. Honestly, if he gets impeached or not, either way, I'm happy because it's over.
2: Because <laughs> it'll come to an end. Yeah, they can I just understand. Shut
5: up about it. Although, but then. Pence is going to be president. They're not going to be happy about that, so...
2: Well, that's what I'm kind of wondering. That do you really want to get rid of Trump? If, you Because know, Pence is a hell of a lot more conservative than Trump Yes, is. he certainly is. So I don't know what the deal is. But, yeah I, I, yeah, I just read the headline of what the latest is on it and then move on from there because I think people are just sick to death of it. I really do. I do think you're right about that. It's like, really, this is every day and everything sucks. You know what happened today? I was reading, uh, you know, the Newser, the news delivery service. Mm-hmm. Uh, they reported, and you know what? Let me let me go back there and see if I can find it. If it's still up there, because if it's still up there, somebody dropped the ball or they're doing it on purpose. Because I saw a headline on Newser today. Let me scroll down. It has to do with, uh, okay, talk amongst yourselves. What the hell? What was it listed under again? Oh, here it is, Dow slips. Dow slips while other indexes tick up, okay? Mm -hmm. So this is from Newser, Dow slips while others tick up. It's a mixed day of trading for Wall Street. Talking about yesterday, right? Right. Okay, well, let me read something to you and and see if you can uh, figure this out. Because it's still there, which means they did it on purpose. Because if it was a mistake or an accident, they would have taken it down and changed it by now. Wouldn't you agree? They've had 12 hours.
5: Depends on how incompetent they are.
2: Actually, they have had more than 12 hours. They've had uh, almost 21 hours to, to correct it, and they didn't do it. So it means they did it on purpose to mislead people. Wall Street closed the books on a mixed day of trading Thursday as gains in technology companies offset declines elsewhere in the market. Investors continue to monitor developments in the international effort to keep a deadly new virus outbreak in China from spreading further and potentially hurting the global economy. Markets across Asia slumped early. The Dow fell 26 points to 19,160. Okay, what's wrong with that story? Do you know? Do you follow the stock market?
5: Uh, very, very loosely.
2: Okay, well, I'll, I'll read something to you again.
5: That's
2: uh, what it says, yeah. Trying to think. You know where it really is?
5: Wasn't it over 20, like
2: recently? Uh the Dow fell by twenty six points, that part's true, but it fell to twenty nine one sixty, not nineteen uh, one
5: sixty. I was gonna say that sounds a little
2: low. So here's what I'm saying, basically. If if they if it was just a mistake, the fact that they didn't check their work, they didn't proofread their work, they just put that garbage up mm-hmm. there. I just don't like it when the news media misleads people. And if it wasn't on purpose, why haven't you fixed it in 21 hours?
5: There's no law that says that they have to be accurate is the problem. Oh, I know. There used to be, but but there isn't any more. So it's like you make a mistake, why bother fixing it? No one's going to do anything about it. Well,
2: it's going to terrify some people because some people are going to think that over the last couple of months it fell 10,000 points.
5: That would be good news for potential investors. $10,000 $10,000 yeah, off. Yeah,
2: I suppose that's true, yeah. But I, I just, I really wish the news media wouldn't lie to people like that. I, I it just,
5: like I why said, do you have to do that? Unless there's regulations that say they can't lie, they're going to lie. And that's true of anything, really. You know, any profession. Oh, everybody's liar, no. They're going to do the least amount of work they legally are allowed to do.
2: Yeah, you're right about that. They are. And it, nobody ever checks their work anymore. It's just how it is. But I, I saw that and I went, people are going to be very uneasy seeing that. And some people won't bother to go check and see if it's even true. They'll just believe it. Yep. Matter of fact, the uh, the uh, stock market's down again today a few points. It's down from 29.160 to 29.20, so it's down about and. 139 points, but we'll see where that comes from. Uh, where that goes, I mean, not where it comes from, but Actually, where it goes. So this was on Newser?
5: Yeah. I wonder. We was can, posted
2: yesterday at 3.07.
5: You can check the comments, and I'm wondering if people are going to be like, wow, is it really that low, or are they going to think for themselves Ooh. and look it
2: up? Yeah, I could do that. That's a good idea. Mm. That's a good idea. That uh, because they do have comments and news are on pretty much every story. So I will go back to the story and see. Uh, Although in my see what the commenters have to say.
5: News or commenters tend to be like the same ten people fighting with each other. So
2: they do love to fight. With yeah, they do. You're right. Sure do. They love to fight with another quite a, one another quite a bit. And I don't know why that is that they love to fight so much. But okay, uh, are there any comments? Yes, there are comments. And so, Oh, there are only eight comments total, though. Mm. There are eight comments total on a national news story. That's very odd. I think someone had better proof their work. The Dow was at twenty nine eight two eighty eight today. Meanwhile, the deficit increased by $3 trillion over the past three years. That's quite the batting average. Oh, really? Uh, because you do realize... And again, I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm not anti-Obama, and I'm not anti-Trump. <laughs> But our our debt went up by what? 11 trillion dollars in the 8 years that Obama was president? Yeah, I think Why don't you check your facts before? Oh, well, there you go.
5: I think when Obama what? was president, that might have been the biggest debt Yeah, that was the biggest debt increase in US history by quite a bit.
2: Yeah, and so so to say 1 billion a year is something new. It's not. Well, it's not Ob- or 1 trillion, excuse me.
5: Yeah, Obama it went up, let's see. Uh, just
2: eight, about eight point six trillion
5: yeah, just about one trillion a year. but before that, yeah, yeah it Bush, did. it only went up. let's see well, it's hard to say because they colored this weird. Let me find a better one.
2: Oh, here's what I like, though. Uh, so it says here, uh, meanwhile, the deficit re- increased by $3 trillion over the past three years is quite a batting average. Uh, then somebody replies to that, Barack Obama added eight and a half, uh, or $8.6 trillion, a 74% increase from the $11.6 trillion debt at the end of Bush's last budget. That's a real batting average record that will never be beaten. So, yeah, you can't write things like, oh, look how bad, when when your guy was
5: even worse. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, there's it, the, it, here's the thing. The number that matters is debt-to-GDP yes. ratio. That's correct. Yeah, Which, because, exactly. you know, trillion a trillion dollars is not necessarily a trillion dollars. You know, if New right. Zealand owed a trillion dollars, that would be a real problem. But a nation that has trillions and trillions of dollars being generated every year one trillion is nothing so you have to look at the ratio yeah and that's correct. for the first time in at least 50 years the debt to gdp ratio went over 100 percent in looks like 2013 mm-hmm. so before mm-hmm. that our debt to gdp ratio was below 100 so you know no matter how much we owed we still had the money to pay it back and then some now is the first time in recent history where we owe more than we have, and it happened under Obama. And I'm not going to say it's his fault because it's not that simple. But
2: no, it's not you that have simple. To, you're absolutely
5: right. You have to, you know, look at the uh, the big picture.
2: Yep, you're absolutely. I got to read this because it's something you said earlier. This is hilarious. So the Barack Obama thing, they said uh, you know 74 74 increased 8.6 trillion. Yeah. Uh, then slim to Nunn, who said the three trillion over the three years. Slim to Nunn Then says less than three trillion over eight years. Actually, according to the most accurate way of calculating how presidential policy affects the deficit. Oh, so in wow. other words, he's just not going by the raw numbers. He's going by well. Let's let's look at how we look at it. Mm-hmm. Apparently, you describe you subscribe to the inaccurate method one calculation. But hey, I'm willing to engage you- with you in a recalculation of the Trump effect so that we can find his true handicap on the back nine. Then Norsadine or Norsaduine or whatever says 26 points down. Really nothing to see here. Move along. Then S.P. Heriod said, are you going to behave yourself in this incarnation? So exactly what you talked about. They started going after each other. Of course. That's <laughs> what they do. It's hilarious. They just go after each other. Look, you're, both your guys are not angels. Both you guys were not perfect people. Just let it go. Calm down. Uh, Citrix, Ugg. I always uh, have to kill a million of their stupid services on my virtual machine. What's Citrix? Citrix. S-I- C-I-T-R-I-X. What is that? I don't even know what that is.
5: It's people-centric solutions for a better way to work. Oh, God-ish. Oh, it's uh, virtualization kind of stuff. Just like oh, business. It is? okay. Things that big businesses need, basically.
2: What time do you need me out by, Andy.
5: Uh, we got a bit. Let's see. Like how many minutes? Time specifically? I would say we have another four.
2: Okay, perfect. I just wanted to make sure I got that because if we, well, you know, we'll probably go a few more minutes in that so we can run the spots and butt right up against the 1130 uh, guest. Oh, yeah. That would make sense for me. You have a great guest coming up. As a matter of fact, we've had him on before. Really, really good guest on this morning to talk about how all of this stuff all the stuff like white privilege and this and that and the other thing is all BS, which, again, everybody knew that. The only privileged people in the world are the ones who already have money. Those are the privileged people. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that. Um, so in any case, it, it's just one of those situations where people, I think, I think you're right. I think everybody's sick to death of it. I'm, I'm sick about the lying. I'm sick about the misdirection. Uh, you know. As I've said before, I went back trying to find a president that I liked, and I never found one. Jimmy Carter was a nice man, but he was a terrible president. Uh, I think George Bush is a nice man, but he wasn't that great a president. Mm-hmm. He, I don't know. They're doing the best they can. They, look, one thing you have to understand about the president, they're they are coming at him from all sides nonstop for four years. It is not an easy job to do. Yeah. So we do have to understand that the the people need to understand that these guys, it's nonstop people hammering at them. So, you know, it's okay. It'll all work out in the end, don't you think? I will. Indeed, ladies and gentlemen, indeed. God, oh, Jesus. I was looking at Somebody just sent this to me, as a matter of fact. Listed for $26.5 million, the property has a 5,000-square-foot basement the entire basement is a massive collection i mean massive full size figures a star wars themed basement the entire basement other than a pool table and a foosball table it's all star wars and i'm talking about full size characters what are the, what are the fighters called again the tie
5: fighters what are X they wings?
2: called this? Something, I, yeah, the whatever ten. the hell it is. but Most likely. Something like that. Yeah, so you want to buy a $26.5 million house and just see if you you want to keep all the Star Wars figures in the basement, I guess. I, I don't know. So he's
5: leaving whatever. the figures in the... He's including them in the sale?
2: Uh, apparently, it's all included in the sale. That's, that's what uh, the implication is, anyway. That's weird. I don't know. It's just... It's not something I'd be really interested in myself, to tell you the mm. truth. But, you know... Did you like Star Wars? Oh, you said you've only seen two of them.
5: <clears throat> no, I've seen all but two. Oh, all but two, I haven't seen say. the two most recent ones.
2: How are you going to do that? Mm, I don't know if I care. Probably enough. not. I don't know. Yeah, that's the whole problem. I saw the first. As soon as they brought out the puppets, I was like, I'm done. The Ewoks. Those Ewoks or whatever the hell, they were called, the Ewoks, weren't they? Yeah, I think
5: I wasn't a fan of the Ewoks.
2: No, it's just whatever. It is it is what it is, and uh, what the hell. What the hell indeed is all I have to say to any of these people. But, uh, God, you got all these stories about people. Man, people have lost their minds. I'm literally looking over the news stories of the day, and I'm having a real hard time doing it because it's just nonstop bitching mm-hmm. is pretty much what the stories are today, the news stories are in any case. Um there's some pretty interesting, things, interesting things locally that have happened. As a matter of fact, uh, God, what the hell is this? New Orleans Saints fight to shield emails in Catholic abuse crisis. What the hell does that mean? What would the New Orleans Saints have to do with that? Uh, it must mean there must be some different kind of New Orleans. Maybe saint they mean like literal saints
5: think. from New Orleans.
2: Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe literally. Who is the most um, recent saint? I wonder. I have no idea. I I have no idea who the newest saint or the most recent
5: is. They still make them? Christian saints since A.D. 300. Let's see, date of birth, sort by. Looks like the most recent one was born in 1922.
2: And who's that?
5: Gianna Mola, who is... What is Gianna Mola all about? Let's see, he was a Catholic pediatrician. Oh, he was? Uh. he's a saint now? And he was... Be sainted or whatever in 2004, which was 42 years after he died.
2: Oh, that's unbelievable. I don't
5: think they canonize live people ever. I don't really probably know. Probably sure, not. Though. Melissa would probably, well, Ma- actually she probably wouldn't because she doesn't know anything about Catholicism, really.
2: Oh, yeah, well, there you go. Um, how about Mother Teresa? Is she making it yet?
5: <clears throat> Mother Teresa?
2: I think she yeah, was a saint. saint is she a saint yet? I thought she was, but not She was sure. after
5: AD 300.
2: Uh yes, uh, yeah she was.
5: <laughs> I don't know. let there's yeah, well. Therese of Lisieux. I don't think that's her though.
2: Yeah, I don't think it is. No, that is I do not know.
5: Someone I don't know. I don't think.
2: No, I don't probably think not she yet. Was sainted or whatever. You're probably right. It probably hadn't happened yet. I don't know if this is good news for the people of Edina, but gallery and Edina is for sale, and the deal could mean big changes. After eight years under Hines, a new owner could speed redevelopment of the Gabbert's space. The Twin Cities' most opulent shopping center, Galleria and Edina, is for sale. Its owner, Houston-based Hines, listed the center as part of a plan by parent company Hines Global REIT Incorporated to sell all or most of its assets. The Chicago office of commercial real estate firm Jones Lang LaSalle has the listing. As stewards of this premier shopping center since 2012, we are proud of the way we have elevated it through the exciting mix of retailers and restaurants, upgrades and expansions. Sergeant Johnson, Managing Director of Asset Management at Hines, said in a statement, so yeah, it looks like uh, well Dick Gron Gronus or Grones Gronus mm. at Cambridge Commercial Realty and Edina wasn't surprised Heinz decided to sell. Every five to seven years they redeploy their money and put it into something else. It's a strategy they've been doing for years. Heinz has owned the galleria since twenty twelve, bought it for one hundred and twenty seven million dollars from uh, the mall's original developers, Gabbert and Beck. So that is that Gabbert's furniture, I'm assuming. I'm assuming that's who it is anyway. We better take a break. Be right back in a couple minutes. Special guest coming up next with the family. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me. And it's not just me. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Tom Bernard here with CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael.
8: Always a pleasure to be with you, Tommy.
2: Oh, listen to Andy playing that classic rock. Mm-hmm. Is that Simon and Garfunkel.
5: Fred Carter Jr. Who is it? Whoever that is. It says Fred Carter Jr.
2: Oh, he might he covered it probably. Or maybe. All right, he we're wrote good to original. go. I maybe, 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 I do maybe have a did. quick
5: correction. Uh, thanks to Officer Dave, uh, okay. Mother Teresa was canonized in 2016. It's pretty recent. Well, she was.
2: So she is a saint. Mhm. There you go. Officer Dave would know that. It's absolutely true. Taboo, 10 facts you can't talk about. Wilfred Riley. Hello, Mr. Riley. How are you? Pretty good. How are you guys? Nice talking to you again last time we talked. uh, When your last uh, book came out, Hate Crime Hoax, I was fascinated by the subject because I've been uh, in radio for uh, 49 years. Next year, okay. 50 years, right? And I do a talk show. I, I do a morning talk show. You've been on that talk show before, the KQRS morning show in Minneapolis. We had you on, as a matter of fact, when Hate Crime Hoax came out. What I love about talking to you, Mr. Riley, is the fact that uh, I, I suffer from all of this all the time. Things you can't talk about, even though they're true. How did we get there? Is it okay if I just call you Wilfred?
9: Yeah, sure, that's fine. Uh, most
2: of my friends call me Will. Will it be good? I'll call you, Will. Will Riley yeah, nice Will, Will so. So, Will, how did we get to this? I was just—I'll give you an example. Of what I'm talking about, and then I just want to shut up and hear you talk about it because I love <laughs> your take on things. There's a news delivery service uh, called Newser, right? And, you you know, if you're on radio, you check these news delivery services for the latest stories and all the rest of it. And there's a story in news about the stock market going down 26 points yesterday. For the past 21 hours, it says in the story that the stock market, the Dow, went down 26 points to 19,160. Now, of course, the stock market said 29,160. But it has said on their website for the past 21 hours that the stock market is 19160. Some people are going to see that and believe it. You uh-huh. do know that. This is getting to be really annoying, Will. I, I don't know how much longer we can deal with this. Uh, I also have, have had discussions with people about the very things you're about to talk uh, about today. You know, the white privilege thing and this. Well, you know what? As I said, I will just. Shut up! Because the last time we had you on, it just fascinated me. Because, well, well, I run into a lot of kickback because I speak my mind. I do not lie. I do not make things up. I will not kowtow to other people, and people do not like that at all.
3: Will?
9: Yeah, I'm. I'm not surprised. So I think that the first thing that you're saying right off the top there is uh, something actually very important. Just because something's in the media doesn't mean that it's true. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah, I invest in the market, and the Dow hasn't been below 20000 for, you might correct this, but eight years, something like that. So <laughs>
2: exactly.
9: if you are a person that takes what, basically, if you're a person that takes what you see in the news blindly and at face value, you're often going to be lied to. And what we're really what we're talking about here isn't really the stock market, although that was a great intro. It's some of these claims that are made politically on left and less often, but still fairly frequently on right, that are obviously false, but that you are simply not supposed to notice are nonsensical. And so the the topic of this book, taboo, is the ten things that you're really not supposed to say at a dinner party. But that everyone kind of knows. And the goal is sort of giving people ammunition so they can actually discuss these topics. But although this ended up not being a full chapter, for example, I talk about the question of whether men can simply decide to become women. Um, I talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, which dominated kind of upper middle class media and conversation for a good two years and which it turns out was wrong about almost everything. There are less than 1,000 people killed by police in a typical year. LEOs are pretty well trained. And of those, maybe a third are going to be African-American. I talk about interracial crime in general. I mean, there's not a lot of it at all. Uh, 85% Mm -hmm. of white murder victims and an astonishing 94% of black murder victims are killed by somebody of their own race, Mm -hmm. generally that they knew, person most likely to kill you is your ex-wife. (laughs) <laughs> so I talk about that why we're so afraid, and I also mention in passing, and this I guess would be genuinely taboo, that when interracial crime does occur, it's actually about seventy to eighty percent black on white. So I talk about interracial crime. I talk about Black Lives Matter. I talk about the trans movement. Um, I have a chapter on white privilege, actually. Where I talk about that and the idea of cultural appropriation, and I oh, think sure. I make some good jokes. But I also get into the actual research there, and what we tend to find in quantitative social sciences is that they're about. <laughs> 20 or 30 things that affect how you're going to be treated in life, and race is about number eight on that list, whether you're white or black. Uh, Number one Mm -hmm. is social class. The main thing that makes people think you're rich and powerful is being rich and powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, That's (laughs) number one by a long shot. About 80% of privilege is just class. But I mean, there's some other things. Uh, Men do have some advantages over women. Uh, It's a bit tougher to be gay, especially in an urban area. You know, mm-hmm. being from the north gives you some advantages over being from the south. You know, there's IQ, height, weight. So only after you get through all that do you really get into the impact of say being Cuban. So I talk about that. I talk about cultural appropriation. You know, so on down the line, race and IQ, all the things you're not supposed to talk about, at least in that social science dinner party setting, are uh, are tackled in the book. I think pretty intelligently.
2: Oh, I don't. I would not argue that for one second. Um Kind of a coincidence, since you're on today, uh, I, as I said, I do a morning talk radio show as well, and we had a comedian named Big J Okerson, who's a very, very funny comedian, oh, yeah. was in studio, and he said, I got to tell you something, Tom, this just happened, and it never happened before. He said, uh, on stage last night at uh, the comedy club, I mentioned that I had to get home and go to bed because I was getting up to do your show today, and a guy yelled out, Tom Bernard sucks. And he said, why do you think that happened? I said, why? Because I, I talk about things like uh, what you just talked about. What I do is I go, and by the way, I triple check stats on three different sites about white privilege, about cultural appropriation, about crime, about all these different things. Since I begin talking about exactly what you're talking about, some people hate my guts, man. I'll tell you that. Oh, they don't like it. Isn't that amazing?
9: Yeah, it is. And I think that's actually really interesting in terms of the context of that being the comedy quote. Because comedy seems to right. be the one sector where people are just saying, and this is true for black comics, white comics, it's true for conservative comics like Larry the Cable Guy or Norm MacDonald. People are just saying, look, our whole business is basically telling ethnic jokes. Like, we're not going to stop telling jokes because we're offending you. So comedy right. is kind of that last line where comedians like Kevin Hart and so on have just said to hell with it. You know, I'll turn down a major opportunity rather than literally cut out everything that's a white joke or a black joke or a gay joke out of my routine. And my, right. my reaction to that tends to be good for the comedians. I couldn't imagine anything worse than listening to social justice comedy.
6: Mm-hmm. Oh, Where people God, aren't allowed, and that's...
9: you're not allowed to clap. You just need to do that thing with your fingers in the air and so on. I actually have listened <laughs> to social justice comedy, I guess. I listened to the Hannah Gadsby special once with a date, and it was oh,
6: yeah.
9: an, an interesting yeah. experience. I mean, I don't know if I'd call it comedy. But uh, anywho, yeah, the, the basic idea that these things are taboo is very real. Uh, I, I don't think, I mean, Big J is a member of a comedy group called Legion of Skanks, so I don't really think he cares. <laughs>
4: exactly. It,
9: it doesn't surprise me that one guy in the crowd was woke enough to yell that out. And it's always this sort of virtue signal. I mean, you're not going to go on stage and challenge a 300-pound comedian about what he's saying. You just sort of uh, make no. your noise and then move on. But, uh, yeah, many of these ideas getting to the point are pretty silly. I mean, if cultural appropriation were real, I couldn't wear shoes. You know, the civilized African tribes <laughs> wore robes and sandals, not pants and sneakers. So, like, I mean, my car is a Mercedes, not boasting or complaining. Just, like, if you couldn't take something from another culture, I'd have to give that back to the Germans. You know, yes, yeah, trade it yeah, in for a Cadillac right. or something. So, I mean, it, the idea that you can't take things from other societies is absolutely acid. And that would include sushi, hibachi, tandoori, chicken soccer, football. Nobody actually believes this. It's just something you
3: can say to look woke oh, right. Yeah.
2: No, you're absolutely right about that. I, I, exactly what you're talking about. You know, one of the things that really got people's heads spinning is is we had, we had a couple of people calling and go. You know, I want to I want to talk about cultural appropriation, and I want to talk about you know white men in America. I said only white men. They said yes, white men in America. You know, you've been in control forever, and you've botched it, and it's been horrible, and blah 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 blah. I said, so you want to go after white men? You mentioned cultural appropriation. Get off your phone. Don't listen to the radio, don't watch television, don't use your computer, don't use any of that stuff. And all the people, including people in the Middle East, like in Iran, they're hopping on all that wonderful digital stuff uh, and then saying that basically America sucks. I I don't understand how you can do both.
9: Well, because you're just a hypocrite. I mean, now, in reality, I will say white (laughs) men, of course, have made great contributions to society, but cultural appropriation is a stupid-ass idea for anyone. I mean, if you're talking about this from a northern European perspective, an Irishman or a Scotsman or whatever, it is cultural appropriation to be a Christian or to engage in farming, because those things come from the Middle East. Right. So, I mean, no one takes this idea seriously. Mm. Cultural appropriation is literally just a way to look woke. If cultural appropriation were a real thing... If you actually want to take this seriously, if cultural appropriation were a real thing, and you're using the standard academic definition, no one could do anything. Whites could eat sushi. Blacks could eat tacos. Even if you use that kind of narrower definition that is breaking it down to it's rude to take something from a group you once oppressed or warred with, that still would block, say, 75% of everything, rather if not 100%. I mean, the USA fought shooting wars with Japan and Mexico, actually. hmm Um, So that's pretty much where the idea stops. But if you you want to take it a step further, I mean, cultural appropriation logically wouldn't just seem to apply across racial lines. I mean, so can you listen to anything invented by any oppressed group? I mean, you know, country music or hip-hop come from poor communities. Electronic dance music comes from gay communities. So anyone trying to actually do this would wind up with just the bowl of unseasoned potatoes that their black or Irish ancestors would have eaten 400 years ago. And nobody's going to do that. What they're going to do is point at one or two highly visible things like white party girls with dreadlocks and attempt to act like they're making a social statement, but they're not.
2: No, absolutely true. How is life, by the way, Uh, you know, Professor... Will is with us today. Uh, Kentucky State University, historically black institution. You're a black man in America today. Is it worse for you because you want to tell the truth?
9: No, not really. That's actually a fairly important Go point ahead. I want to make. There's a big difference between this BS on Twitter and real life. I mean, mm. I mean, in reality, I'm a 200-pound former athlete. I'm not extraordinarily tough, but I'm a pistol instructor as a side job. I'm pretty popular in my community city of about 100,000. So, I mean, I've never in actual life had someone come up to me and even use profanity when they were disagreeing with me. And when I talk to people that have been in, quote-unquote, the business, that are conservative talk show hosts or left-leaning comedians or something, that's pretty much what they all say. So in practice, life's been extraordinarily good. I mean, I wrote a best-selling book and they paid me for it. I guess you could argue that Twitter is a little awkward. Like, every time I go on, I have people kind of standing for me from the center right. Not that there's anything wrong with that. They're just expressing their opinion. Or tossing Mm -hmm. darts, mostly from the left. But, I mean, the way to avoid cyberbullying, to some extent, is just to turn off the computer if you're an adult male. So, I mean, in in practice, reality. No, absolutely nothing negative has happened. I've gotten a couple of consulting opportunities, and I am writing a second book, actually. I mean, obviously, Taboo's coming out. So, I don't, in practice, if you write a, you know, scholarly, right-of-center book, nothing happens. I mean, there aren't mobs outside George Will's house.
2: <laughs> George Will. I, I, you know, I haven't heard that name in a while. What happened to George Will? He kind of disappeared. He watches a lot of baseball now,
9: I guess. I've I, I yeah, got a does. copy of yeah, my he book, yeah. and he, he basically is just out of the game. There are a lot of people that just get to that point left and right, former military, former trading floor, whatever, where it's like, the hell with it? I'm going to live on a farm. Like John Stewart now is uh, caring for endangered animals on a farm out east somewhere. So it's just yeah, sort of right. you get that's tired exactly of people right. shouting at you you're for Stewart or will I mean you're a centi millionaire so you just go the hell back to the Hamptons and relax. Mhm.
2: Yeah, that's exactly yeah, what my situation life, is.
5: I grew up on a farm for the first 18 years, I moved to the city and now I'm We're. my family's going to be moving back out to uh, South Dakota in a, like probably 10 15 years because it's just Things are just, you know, there's less crime, there's less pollution, there's less hate.
9: No, I mean, I think that that's, um, it's interesting because it's a cycle. Like, when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, I grew up in a city. I grew up on the south, I was born on the south side of Chicago, grew up on the east side of Aurora. But still, those are kind of like the working class, real human neighborhoods of those cities And I kind of couldn't wait to get out and go to a competitive college, join the army or move downtown to the bright lights or whatever. And then as an adult, after you've been in the game for 15 or 20 years, you're often disgusted with it. Yeah, you just want to relax and watch your vegetables grow. Mm -hmm. But that cycle has gone on for a long time. I mean, there's a recruiting flyer for the old Roman legions that said, excuse the language, the translation is pretty much, are you tired of walking behind the ass end of a horse? You know, go fight. <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty much the pitch for a lot of militaries today, not to mention every modeling agency at ad agency in a big city. But once you've lived in Center City, San Francisco, for 15 years, I mean, there, it might well look like there's nothing better for you than Bountiful Utah.
5: Oh, yeah, so much vice. Yeah, well, and, yeah, it's... There's a lot of awful things that almost exclusively go on in cities is the problem. And there doesn't have to be. Cities can be, I mean, you know, look at places like Tokyo, you know, Yakuza notwithstanding. It's it's clean. There's low crime. It's way too many people per square mile. But other than that, you know, cities don't have to be bad. They just seem to be in the West.
9: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the response to that, like the city boy defense, because I'm still mid-30s. I mean, I've moved from Chicago but to like a state capital city that's pretty big. The defense of a city would be that there are also good things that go on in cities well, that don't go on anywhere else. If you want to take someone to the ballet on a good second date, that's not something that's necessarily going to occur if you're you know, living on a sheep farm. No. Um, but yeah, cities right now, cities again go through cycles. I mean, as a social scientist, I say this about almost everything. But there's no inherent reason cities have to be unlivable hellholes. But there are certain patterns. Like, Mm -hmm. if you have a city that has a high population of poor individuals, and that has a lot of ethnic diversity, which can produce fist fighting and robbery and so on, and that has public transportation that allows people to go across the city, has any of the things our cities have, you also need sort of a strong law and order leader, or the city is going to kind of descend into chaos. And right. you saw in urban areas exactly that happened between kind of the 70s and the 90s. We really liberalized policing. Rent control was instituted, so you had essentially Section 8 housing in the best buildings. And crime went up, what, 500%, 600%. Oh, yeah. And then you got the Giuliani's and so on that came in there and toned that down. But now, you're, now you're seeing a rise of crime again. Crime's up about 15%. So obviously during the peak of a high crime cycle, that's when you're going to see most people get the hell out of the city.
2: Right. Yeah, that would make total sense. Um, how much time do you have? Because, I, I, you know, we're we're, uh, we're at the 15-minute mark. I don't want to keep you too long, but I'd love to talk to you more if you have time. Well, do, I've got, do you I have, have a, a class have a hard... at 1,
9: so I would have to get, I'd have to get out by like 12.55 if that works for you guys.
2: It does indeed. If you don't mind, we'll take a very quick break. Be right back, and we'll do another seven, eight minutes. Is that right? Yeah, sounds good, guys. Right, we'll be right back. More with Will right after this. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Start the new year looking great and feel even better by losing 20 to 40 pounds with help from my friends at Ultimate, powered by Nutrimost. It's Tom, and I'm thrilled to let you know that for a very limited time, you'll receive 20 to 30% off all programs with Ultimate's New Year's resolution sale. Do what I did and let Dan and Neil Sheehy and the staff at Ultimate help you change your relationship with food forever. 763-333-7337. 763-333-7337. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, releasing January 28th, next Tuesday, Taboo 10 Facts You Can't Talk About, Will Riley with us, R-E-I-L-L-Y, of course. We've uh, talked to Will before about all these things, and it's wonderful because I have a hard time. Well, I will tell you this, Will. Over the, over the 35 years that I've been on The Morning Show, uh, in Minneapolis and St. Paul because I do tell the truth and I will not lie and I will not suck up to somebody. I just don't do those things. I grew up in the inner city, very, very tough neighborhood. Three of my, my uncles were murdered. I mean, one of them thrown off a building. So I didn't grow up with that white privilege they I love to talk about even though I'm a white guy, right? But I also never, ever saw the things that these people were talking about. The The neighborhood in which I grew up, a lot of Catholics, black people, and Jews. That's who were in my, our neighborhood. You know, it was back in the 60s. Um, I'm a few years older than you, Well, Let me just put it that way. So what they do now here in Minnesota is if they don't like something that I say, they will write in a newspaper that I'm racist, homophobic, and sexist. I'm all those things. Of course, I'm none of those things, but they're trying to do as much damage as they possibly can. Have we always been like that in a society?
9: Well, no. We, The idea of political correctness and all this modern whining and complaining is a relatively recent thing, and it's actually a negative side effect of a positive reality, which is that society's gotten a lot better. Um, In the 1960s, even in the North, you didn't have to look too far if you wanted to find real racism. Um, I grew oh, yeah. up in a pretty similar integrated neighborhood. I mean, we had African-Americans, Irishmen, Italians, Hispanics. And I mean, right. My association with racism would be someone trying to beat you up because of your race.
3: Exactly.
9: And, but that is dramatically, dramatically less common. I actually wrote an article about this for commentary the other day. When I looked at the actual numbers on interracial crime, not the panic on either side, and there's very little. I mean, African-Americans make up about 14 percent of the country, commit 15 percent of attacks against whites, Whites are even less racist. Whites commit less than 20% of attacks against blacks. Whites make up 60% of the country. So, in the absence, I mean, obviously the USA in the north desegregated around 1926, the south, 1954. So, if you just don't have old school racism, I, mean, I can't imagine the last time a cross was burnt in Center City, St. Paul, you know. Um, what you do
2: is <laughs> Not really.
9: try to read. I mean, it, it, we're laughing because it's a ridiculous idea. It's that's what ridiculous. racism is. I mean, racism is the Klan, it's the Muslim Brothers. You have none of that in a typical working-class suburban community. So Mm -hmm. what I think you've seen a lot of on the political left is the redefinition of words like racism. So when people talk about subtle racism, um, what they're talking about is systems like the SAT that produce slightly different results for different groups. People talk about white privilege, meaning whites are 10% more likely to be upper middle class. People talk about cultural appropriation, you know, my white girlfriend shaved the side of her scalp it's we've removed we've moved standard deviations in the technical sense away from racism being those guys are chasing me with a stick because i'm italian and i think mm-hmm. that's good but we also can't allow the word to be redefined racism means what it always did it means the clan so on the reality is that now there's a lot less racism We don't need to pretend there's the same amount of racism by changing the definition of the word. This is also true for a ton of other things, by the way. I mean, rape, hate crime. Mm -hmm. I mean, those words have definitions in the law for reasons. And I think that we should be able to say, hey, things are better now.
5: Yeah, one thing people Uh, never mention when they talk about hate crimes is that – so when you ask the average person, you know, think of a hate crime, they're going to think – of someone beating someone close to death or murdering someone or something like that, you know, setting fire to their house. But the vast, vast majority of hate crimes are like things like intimidation or race-based insults. Actual violent hate crimes are extremely rare in this country, but they're mm-hmm. conflated with everything else.
9: Yeah. That's, that's so that's amazing. An, if, you're, if you if you, that point that's an excellent point and this is a common statistical trick by the way you'll see now that so many people on both political sides have some basic statistical training people just combine things yeah so the national organization for women I mean my girlfriend's fairly feminist we got a mailer from them the other day and she got irritated with me because I broke down one statistic on there it said last year something like 1.5 million women were killed brutally abused Physically abused or verbally abused oh. by their male partners. <laughs> yep, there it is. And none of those things are good, but there's a big difference between you yelling at your wife after work and you chasing her around the house with a kitchen knife. Yeah. So the <laughs> way you get those statistics is that, you know, 1.4 million of those incidents would be verbal abuse and 50,000 would be physical abuse. And you get over to the far left corner and there may be 500 murders.
5: Oh, yeah, It's, it's a of tragedy, oh, of
9: course, but that, that kind of numbers <clears throat> gaming is really, really common, especially mm-hmm. in this kind of social science space.
5: It's
2: extremely common. Um, I know you have to go in one minute. I wanted to ask you, uh, your book comes out on Tuesday. I'm, I'm sure you're going to be busy as can be, but I would like to book you on the morning show. Like this is the same thing we did basically with Hate Crime Hoax. So you, you were on the show first, then came on that show. People loved you on that show, so I'd, lo- I'd really like to book you yeah. again on that show if you have time. Sure. Uh,
9: what, when's a good time for you guys?
2: Uh, I, on the morning show, anytime, basically from, from 6 AM to 10 AM, but it, that's central time. So, yeah, central I mean, well, there's a four hour stretch and, and basically what we do is, is make it fit your schedule. So, you know, it's, it's usually like a 10 or 15 minute, uh, situation and, and I'd can, love to have you on talking about it.
9: Okay. So let's see, I've got some radio that day, but this is 10:15. So, 8, 7 Central. So 11 Eastern would be 10 Central, right?
5: Uh, yes. Yeah. Wait. Is it? Yeah, 11 no, it's Eastern one is hour. 10 Central.
2: That's what you said, 11 Eastern, 10 Central. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I misunderstood. Yeah. Indeed.
9: I could do uh, 9 Eastern, which would be 8 Central, if that works for you guys.
2: And which day would that be?
9: Uh, Tuesday, the 28th. I, although, if it's another day, oh, that would be even Tuesday? better. Like, I mean, I could do pretty much any time yeah, in the morning, fine. Monday. Yeah, that's fine.
2: All right, that's, uh, yeah, you know, and I have your numbers right here, so what I'll do is uh, reach out directly to you if that's all, all right.
9: Yeah, that's that's absolutely fine. Uh, but so w- what time would you prefer to do? I mean, I could do Monday, um, 11 Eastern, 10 Central, if that works for you.
2: Actually, I can't. It's, the show ends right at 10 Central. So I could do okay. 930 um, Central. I
9: could do 10 Eastern, 9 Central, if that works for you.
2: That works perfectly, as a matter of fact. We'll do that on Monday. And I will, uh, you know, I will. I will make sure that I call and leave a leave a message. You'll you'll be teaching, so I'll call the number and leave uh, the number that you need to call if that if that works for you.
9: Sounds good. Um, what's your email? I can just email you and we'll set this
2: up. Actually, it is Bernard backwards. It's D R A N R A B Dranrab at hotmail.com. It is just Barnard backwards. Is all it is like Barnard College backwards. Dranrab at hotmail.com.
9: C-R-A-N-R-A-B at Hotmail. Okay, I'll uh, shoot you a message and confirm that date after class. But, yeah, I look forward to doing it. I always enjoy talking to you guys.
2: Well, you're you're a hell of a guest, and I couldn't agree with you more. And all the best to you, Will. Thank you for your time today, sir.
9: You too. Thanks, brother. Have a good day.
2: Bye. Me too. Bye. Isn't that amazing, Andy, that a man that smart... um, understands this is all bs and he was trying to tell people it's all b be- this mm. whole thing that this oh the racism is rampant no it isn't that's not racism as he pointed out uh, you know as he said nobody's being dragged behind a truck the last time that happened was that i think it was mr bird was his name i think dragged behind the pickup truck in the deep south in minnesota i Minnesotans do not even understand what racism is, what sexism is, what homophobia is. They don't even understand the whole. Uh, what was the kid's name? Matthew Shepard, I believe, yeah. that was tied to, tied to a fence and beaten to death because he was gay. That's homophobia. You know, joking around, telling some you know telling a joke on stage or something. That's not homophobia. It's your job. Settle down. Right?
5: Yeah. Well, people want to fight something. And if there's nothing to fight,
2: then they'll make it up. You're right. That's a good point because that's what they want to do is they just... Well, do you think, Andy, that it's true that people want to be a victim? Well, yes. I think so. I I don't think there's any question about it. I want to be a victim. I want to make sure that everybody understands. See, in my brain, because of the way I was raised, I guess, by my mother... The last thing I want to do is ever admit that you made me feel bad.
5: Well, society has made victimhood into a position of power, and people want power no matter what. People will do literally anything to get power, and becoming a victim is right now one of the easiest ways because it means I can speak about a subject and you can't. I have absolute authority over the subject because I'm the victim and you don't, you know. You're not the victim, so you don't understand it, so you just have to shut up and let me be the authority figure.
2: Isn't that amazing you know, that people actually believe that? Yes, they certainly do. They do. They they believe that all this hatred exists. And what you're doing, by the way, by, by claiming that, you're creating it. You're not making it better. You're making it worse well, yeah. well, by lying about it. That's what his first book was. It was about hate crime hoaxes. Yes. Hate crime hoax. Yeah, you know, hate crime hoaxes. I didn't even realize he's only he's only thirty five years old. My God, he's. I know he has achieved quite a bit in his life. Don't you think, man? Some people are type A. Yeah, no question about it. So I am not one of them. Indeed, no, you're not. You're definitely not a type A personality. There's not you, there's no getting around that. There's no way that you're a type A personality. I love seeing Wilfred Riley's name. Will Riley, uh, Professor Riley from Kentucky State University, a black college. Uh, we need more people like him because I think, and I'm very serious about this, that that people of color, need to, particularly black people, by the way, need to be very careful because if they can find a group that protects them better than you do as a black person, they're going to walk right over you to get there. They're going to throw you aside like there's no tomorrow because that's what they've always done. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much true, isn't it? Uh, so uh, do we have a couple more minutes? Or we? No, we're pretty much done because it's noon, right? Yeah, I'd say so. All right. We'll talk to you next week with the family.